0: the following program is a production of chilling entertainment and the creative team at chilling tales for dark nights and a proud member of the simply scary podcast network visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs thank you for listening and enjoy the show You're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome, dear listeners, to Season 11, Episode 16. I'm your host, Otis Chirey. And in this episode, I'll be performing four tales to terrify you, courtesy of author Mark Towsy. Tonight, you'll hear tales of rough indigestion, obsessive adventuring, overdue aggression, and sales to die for... You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first two spine-tingling stories. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with Twice the Terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now, it's time to take a walk together down the Moonlit Trail... So, lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. The show's about to begin.
1: (laughs) Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs, or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start.
0: Like fly off to remote villages and see how things are outside of our comfort zone. Thing is, maybe that comfort zone exists for a very, very good reason. Without further ado, I present to you A Touch of Acid. I've come to detest this village in the middle of goddamn nowhere. Initially, I thought it pretty, but the air tastes sour now, as does everything that passes through my lips. Maria felt country air would be good for me, and that it would be good to meet her family and friends. That's the last thing on my mind. I'm a mess. Sunken eyes, yellow skin speckled with sweat, and I'm even starting to develop one of those bellies that looks ridiculous on an otherwise skinny guy. Turn to my side, sucking it in, but the mirror's already seen the truth. Here comes another. I pop another three chalky tablets into my mouth, but I might as well be chewing carpet. Gripping the basin tightly, I focus on the white knuckle of my right hand in preparation for the pain. The fizzing intensifies, and I know foreplay is almost over, and it never underwhelms like molten lava rushing through a rusty pipe. It feels like my esophagus may give at any second, causing the hot bile to spill into my system and do its worst. My body feels like a nuclear reactor on the verge of a meltdown. Blood pumps in my ears as the pain approaches its crescendo, hot and prickly fingers squeezing on my innards, forcing the liquid towards my throat. My breathing quickens, Finally, an explosion of sourness emerges from my gullet, filling my mouth with hot, stingy saliva. I double over, retching into the broken, yellowing basin. Christ, it hurts. As though it's poison, I continue hacking out the phlegm, my throat straining, feeling twice its normal size. Sweating, shuddering, I rest my forehead against the coolness of the glass, watching the transparent thickness slide down the porcelain. It's getting worse each time, but there's no respite. My stomach hardens, reminding me the evening is far from over. At least for now, the heat has made it. I left my head to see the monster with bloodshot eyes staring back. Home feels impossibly far away. What am I doing here, anyway? It's a question I've asked countless times, but as soon as she looks at me with those blue eyes... Icy, but somehow warm. And as the smile breaks across her face and crinkles her perfect nose, it doesn't seem important. Those looks are few and far between these days, but that makes me work even harder for them. I'm in love, smitten, and I know Maria doesn't reciprocate. But when she fakes it, that's enough for me. Her English is surprisingly good, certainly better than my Ukrainian. She likes money, clothes, and fine restaurants. And I like her smell, how she laughs, and the way she moves. Not just that. I feel as though I can tell her anything. Not so much now, but she used to absorb my words as though they were the most interesting ever spoken. Even her name makes me weak at the knees. Maria. Her profile mentioned she enjoyed the finer things, She wanted to be looked after, made to feel special. We arranged to meet in Kiev, and subject to clicking, we would apply for a marriage visa, move back to England, and start a new life together. We even spoke of children. But now, each time I approach the subject of going home, she shrugs and tells me I need to rest. She brought me here to recuperate. Crummy little village community in the forests at the edge of town. "'My visa's running out. The money, too. And she knows it. "'Shortly after arriving, I wired some funds to her account "'to pay off her debts and then some more to keep her interest. "'And more. And more. "'I had to refuse her last request. "'There's only enough left for our tickets home. "'It's freezing in this country, and the sheets are already cold. "'I nestle close to Maria, inhaling her hair.' and kissing the smoothness between her shoulders. So warm. Always so impossibly warm. She's wearing a flimsy nightgown while I have two sweaters on, and still, I shiver. She lets out a moan, but not like the ones she used to make when I first got here. The first couple of weeks were amazing. We ate, shopped, explored the stunning architecture, ate some more and made love in Kiev's most elegant hotel rooms. Now we only ever seem to eat, and Christ, my appetite is relentless. Perhaps that's why most of my advances are met with excuses these days. Things have turned, and now I'm stuck in the middle of this village. I still love her, perhaps even more now that I know she's slipping away. Ah, man, this one's going to be bad, As quietly as possible, I push myself from the bed, grimacing as my feet find the cold, uneven wooden floor. Nerve endings bristle their warning, forcing the shutter as I make it to the bathroom. My stomach gives out a groan, and once again I reach for the sink. Maria stirs as ominous fizzing begins, and the room starts to spin. The gurgling, that's new. It feels like waves of volatile liquid are breaking against my chest wall. "'Here it comes. Already my fingers ache. "'Sharpness in my chest doubles me over. "'A new type of pain. And another. "'Burning up, I wrestle off my sweaters "'and throw them toward the corner of the room. "'The heat rises, surging through my vulnerable innards "'in a gravity-defying stream of nastiness. Crouching down on two more chalky tablets.' I try and relax, but my mind instructs me to brace for the inevitable pain. More breaking waves in my stomach bring a feeling of nausea and a fear of unknown territory. Another loud and garbled moan escapes my chest, prompting more stirring from Maria. As I focus on the whites of my knuckles again, a pulsing bass fills my ears, and I can feel the veins in my body reacting as though plucked strings. "'Did my skin just move? What's happening?' "'My throat crackles like burning tinder and my legs buckle, "'searing heat exploring every part of my body, "'a raging torrent of destruction "'that feels like it's dissolving my existence. "'I grimace as liquid makes its final leg of the journey into my mouth, "'bringing the explosion of viscosity "'and the bitter taste that's become so familiar.' Just as soon as I spit it out, another gurgle emerges, and I sense the tide coming in again. No time for a respite. The discomfort starts on a 10 and finishes off the charts, bringing me to my knees, and I finally begin to regret ever landing on that internet page. Wave after wave, the pain intensifies each surge, bringing impossible heat and ever thickening mucus feels like I'm coughing up my insides a bit by bit. I hear Maria's voice dampened and distant, drowned out by the eternal thumping in my ears. The doors. Did she just leave? Maria! Another one on the way. It's more than a fizzing now, a sizzling sound. That's how I'd describe it, like meat on a barbecue. I saw that. I saw it. My skin just rippled. It moved as though something inside. Clawing myself up I lean over the basin once more. Explosive pain rips through me, taking with it my will to live. I want the lights to go out. I want to pass out. My skin feels like it's immersed in boiling water, my chest, switching between a knot of pain and a bubbling cesspit of bile thickness explodes in my mouth and this time brings a metallic bitterness. I feel so weak, so exhausted. My body's a trembling mass of convulsions, a relentless swell of toxicity. Another gurgle emerges from my belly, and I begin to cry. I don't want to die here, not alone. Where'd Maria go? It feels like the hot liquid's in my ears now, breaking rhythmically, and frothing into nearby shores of flesh. Maria! I scream. I let myself fall back into the corner, clutching at my chest. I felt that against my ribs. Something's in there. Something's inside of me. The swell continues. An endless set of acidic waves that leave behind it. Horrific taste, and a longing to be as far away from this place as possible. As I fold in half, A string of thick, bloody saliva extends from my mouth towards the floor, swinging pendulously as another violent stream of lava works its way into my throat, finally detonating in my mouth. The accompanying stomach cramps send me to a fetal position, the skin on my right cheek slaking across the roughness of the timber. I wrap my arms around my knees, bringing them in tightly as searing heat consumes me. Without the strength to cough, the hot liquid dribbles down the side of my mouth, forming a thick puddle on the floor. Screwing my eyes shut, I begin to sob some more. Something writhes inside. I can feel it squirming, slithering across my rawness. Maria, help! I croak. Help! Finally, the door opens and I hear footsteps across the rickety boards need a hospital, I croak. She gently turns me over onto my back, and there are the blue eyes exuding nothing but warmth, just like the first time we met. Their coolness extinguishes some of the heat, but I know it's temporary. Breathe, she whispers. The flames ignite inside me once again, and even her smile provides little hope. Squinting into the dirty yellow light, I see others standing behind her shoulders, all dressed in expensive clothes, sporting perfect smiles and an abundance of jewelry. Her perfect smile induces paranoia, and as fire rips through me, I'm suddenly convinced that Maria has been poisoning me, using me as a bank until the money runs dry, feeding me boorish spiked with rat killer or something. She runs her fingers through my hair and places her warm palm against my cheek. I'm an idiot. Set her family and friends up for life. I open my mouth, but before I can speak, something fills my esophagus. Not liquid though. This is solid, stretching at the lining. I hear things cracking, tearing. I can't breathe. Black spots tarnishes Maria's smooth skin as I try and gulp some air. Something's coming, something big. I can feel it in my throat, even working its way down. Even see the bulge from peripheral vision. The audience offers only muffled chatter as I writhe on the floor, croaking and gurgling what I believe to be my dying cries. Relax, Maria says softly. It's just contraction. It's coming. In between its movements, I manage to suck in small pockets of air but the pressure on my lungs is unbearable. It's in my mouth. What the hell is it? I turn to my side, retching until the foreign object finally spills to the floor in a steaming puddle of blood and watery mucus, and... It's a boy! Maria cries, and the audience delivers a series of high-pitched squeals. The heat is gone, but my insides feel broken. I take in a stained breath, trying not to look at the slimy alien body that squirms and cries next to my head. Only The eyes appear human, ice blue, but the rest is scaly and worm-like, six short legs kicking redundantly in the air. It snaps its elongated head towards me and bears its razor-sharp teeth. "'He hungry,' Maria utters. She leans in toward me and momentarily... I think she's going to kiss me, but instead, she begins stretching her neck and bobbing her head up and down, making a choking sound. A spray of liquid falls across the right side of my chest, and even before the pain hits, I see the steam rising towards her gorgeous blue eyes. Above my pained cries, I hear the acid-like substance fizzing, breaking down my skin. Something's gnawing at me now, that, that thing... Blue-eyed worm with legs. Supposed to be a good place for us, Maria says as her skin suit falls to the floor, revealing her nakedness, body glistening under the yellow light, her eyes on gristly pole-like supports that move independently. Removing the palette of teeth from the comparatively oversized jaw, she exposes her own set of needle-sharp cutters. As more skin suits drop to the floor, squirming, family parade, and friends makes their way toward the banquet. I watch the boy continuing to feed, but there's no pain. My flesh is blackened, dead. Stroking my head with the back of her claw, Maria maintains her fake accent, telling me how they came upon this village, deserted, caught up in the aftermath of Chernobyl. They'd seen the disaster from space, took their opportunity to visit, She tells me they're going to breed, colonize, claim the Earth as their own, and turn the tide of human destruction. They didn't count on their sensitivity to the radiation. Their bodies couldn't incubate, relentlessly churning out the dead. They wanted to return, but were cast out, deemed unsafe. Carriers. She's just trying to survive. I realize now I was only ever a host, untainted flesh offering vital nutrients, with a bankroll to help them continue their quest. Light dwindles as more of them crawl and slake to my side, bopping their heads up and down, necks outstretched. Bracing myself for the torrent of lava, I screw my eyes shut. I love you. Maria whispers. But I bet she says that to all the men.
1: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.
0: I hope you enjoyed A Touch of Acid by Mark Towsey, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed his tale and would love to read more from tonight's very talented feature author, you can help support him by visiting simplyscarypodcast.com slash Towsy. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash T-O-W-S-E. Visit him on Twitter at MarkTowsy12, Instagram, or WordPress. Or view the stories he's written in a number of anthologies. Or check out his dedicated collection of stories Face the Music, or his book, Nana, both available on Amazon. If you do decide to stop by his profile, please leave him a kind word and let him know you heard about him here on this show and that Otis Jirey sent you. It would mean a lot to me. Thanks again for your support of this program and of tonight's featured author. It's often said that love is like a strange six-legged monster just waiting to crawl out of your throat and eat your necrotic tissue. Or maybe that's just what my neighbor says. Very sweet gal, but even I know there are days when it's best not to stop by for dinner. But why travel all over the world looking for adventure? After all, you just may pick up something unpleasant. Just to see what you can find in your own backyard. At least, that's what young Sam's doing. He seems to have a strong fascination with a particular utensil which leads him further and further into adventure. But just how strong is the line between adventure and danger? Without further ado, I present to you Spoons. see He's out there again. Didn't even eat breakfast, Sheila says. Got him Fruit Loops, too. I don't think that kind of food helps, love. All those E-numbers and whatnot. Sheila crunches down on her toes, observing her husband's ever-growing belly, doubting he could pick a courgette from a cucumber. Renowned pediatrician, Dr. Jeff, sporting his stretched and threadbare underpants and flaunting advanced terminologies such as e-numbers and whatnot. She bites her tongue. There's some leftover cake in the fridge if you want it. Oh, I love. I won't say no to that. He leans toward the window, giving his chest a good old scratch, studying the holes in their once manicured garden. The look on his face, such intensity. Shame he doesn't clean his room with such aggression. It's not as though Sheila stopped worrying about her son. But there comes the point, just like grief, she supposes, that one has to start letting go, or at least try. Every morning, Sam greets her with his melt-your-heart smile, eyes wide and hungry, and who is she to deny him one of the few things that thrills and excites him? Christ, there's not a single spoon that isn't bent. Jeff says, breaking through the cutlery drawer. He finally gives up, putting the cake plate down and bending one back in place. It's like living with Yuri friggin' Geller. The astronaut? No, you daft bugger. The fellow that could bend spoons. Her gaze still on her husband, Sheila's mind, begins flicking through all the sessions with the so-called professionals. Autism. ADHD. So many terms, liberally coined, but offering no real resolution. Just words she could use for inquisitive friends and family to justify his stimming and lack of engagement. Her sister would never believe in of it, always insisting it was just part of the boy's personality. She died thinking it, too. You all right, love? Yeah, I'm fine. As long as he's happy, I'm happy. He reaches for her hand and squeezes it. Hey, look on the bright side. At least it was a cheap birthday this year. Forty packs of cost cutter spoons and a remastered box set of Indiana Jones. She nods, watching Jeff sink the misshapen spoon into the icing. In hindsight, we should have kept a pack for ourselves. Jeff smiles if he ever asks for a shovel. (laughs) <laughs> We're fucked. In the yard, humming I mean the theme tune to Indiana Jones, Sam works his way through dry soil. His palm stings and his fingers ache, but he knows he must be getting closer, this being the only patch of grass not yet savaged. A familiar scent of laundry liquid fills his nostrils as the cool morning breeze blows across, shadows of the washing above proving frustrating. As light becomes dark, it becomes light. Further down the street, he hears children playing and dogs barking, but shrillness only temporarily overrides the familiar voices in his head. The buzzing has always been there, the background hum. He can never remember the name of what his mom calls it, tin something or other, but only since moving into the house a few months ago did it transition to voices. Female children, he thinks. The pair speak in perfect synchronicity, leading Sam to suspect they may be twins. Weak and distant once, the voices become stronger with each passing day, and from the moment his eyes open to when they close, they're with him. Harvey, stop it. It's always been different, he knows it. All those fancy offices and smarmy smiles. But this place has finally given him a focus, a mission, Something awaits here, and it's calling to him. A connection that only he's picking up. And the things he's been promised. He grits his teeth and stabs the spoon into the ground, but the already weakened handle gives. Fuck off, Harvey. He yells to the dog as it nuzzles for attention. I'm on a mission here. The dog finally saunders to the other side of the garden. "'dropping to the superman position under the shade of the rosebush "'and letting out a sigh. "'I'm sorry, Harves,' he mutters. "'But I'm close. I know it.' "'He tosses the now useless implement behind him "'and grabs another from the pile. "'Shadows grow shorter, spoons bend. "'Harvey finally retires inside, the heat getting too much for him. "'A potent concoction of sun cream and sweat streaming down his forehead.' Sam alternates digging hands, face crumpled as he rubs relentlessly at his eyes, producing a series of marshy squeaks. Regardless, he continues to dig, his vision blurry and stinging, the cheese sandwich his mum brought out a half hour ago, remaining untouched, bar the small army of ants. Oh, God! Indy, this is it! This is it! He bites his lip, stabbing frantically at the surrounding ground. His heart rate is up, hair is prickling across his body, adrenaline numbing the pain. Stab! 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 Scrape! 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 stab, Stab! 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 Scrape! Scrape! But as he finally works the broken fragment from the soil, he feels like crying. The day soon becomes as cool as the morning was, clothes drenched, dirt entrenched in every fingernail. Sam finally calls it quits. He stands and straightens, observing his handiwork, considering it not as wasted waste of time, just another step closer to finding what he needs. He pries his latest find from his pocket, spits on it, and rubs it against his shirt, inspecting the pottery shard that will now join other uncovered treasures on his shelf. Tomorrow's the day. It has to be, he thinks, because then it'll be Monday again. Whole week will need to be endured. But the voices plead for him to continue now, not to give up. You're so close, Sam. Rich is beyond your imagination. I can't. I'm so tired. You're our only hope. You need to find the key. I need to stop. Just a bit longer. Think of I need a poo, okay? You better go and have one then, son. Mrs. Rayner's voice floats across from next door's garden. Probably best keeping that sort of thing to yourself, though, Peddle. Immediately turning red, Sam retreats under the wrought iron archway and makes his way to the back door. The voice is You can still hear them issuing pleas between their whimpers. Find anything, mate? His dad says, lifting his head from the newspaper. Sam holds a piece of broken pottery up as he makes his way past. That's college paid for, then. Too tired to engage, Sam trudges up the stairs. He does his business, showers, and throws himself on the bed, eyes on Indiana on the wall to his right, whip in hand. I need a poo. Words he could never imagine leaving the adventurer's lips. Sorry, Indy. It was after watching Temple of Doom with his dad that he became hooked for hours, afterward jumping from couch to couch, rolling across the carpet, offering a flick of his hand as he rose to his feet. Nobody else compares to Indiana as far as he's concerned. Lots of wannabes and tryhards, but the required level of coolness always evades. As the voices in his head notch up, he cycles through the playlist and his phone, settling on a tried and tested theme tune, For You Guessed It. He closes his eyes and imagines himself climbing mountains, crossing rivers, fighting through jungle, unlost jewels spilling through his fingers as he flashes his best Indiana smile. But now the enemy is chasing him, the Shetty swinging only inches from his. Dinner's ready! manages to duck under the first blade, but a big fella approaches from the right, cutting down the jungle, eyes hungry for the crystal skull, gripped in his left hand. But he's slow, and Sam quickly sidesteps to the left. Big fella comes at him again, the blade whistling above his, dinner's ready, Sam! Heard you the first time, mom. He sighs, turns off the music, and pushes himself from the bed, discarding the towel and dressing in jeans and his favorite Indiana t-shirt. His muscles ache, his fingers sing, but he'll be back in the yard soon as the sun rises, starting on a new patch. Fortune and glory, kid. Fortune and glory. Downstairs, there's no adventuring to be had, just the clink of cutlery on plates and conversation Indiana would have no part of. shovels his food in as quickly as possible, leg-tapping under the table. Important meeting to get to, Sam? Uh Uh-huh. Feels like I'm on the bloody Titanic, boy. Jeff, leave him be. Sheila reaches out for Sam's arm, but he recoils. Knowing better than to take it personally, she offers a smile and lifts the wine glass to her lips. More potatoes? I'm good. Thanks, Mom. Going to be a nice day tomorrow, son, Jeff says, chasing peas all around his plate. Thought we could walk around the walls and do some geocaching. Can't tomorrow, Dad. Jeff offers Sheila a glance, assuring her he has things under control. We can stop off at that burger joint you like. I'll even. Not tomorrow, Dad. Come on, son. It'll be fun. Uh uh-uh. uh. Not tomorrow. Feeling foot connect with his ankle, Jeff narrows his eyebrows and turns his stare towards her. He's not ready to give up yet, words bouncing violently around his head. He used to love exploring the ruins. Maybe next weekend. Sam sits back in his chair, right leg still going like the clappers, and the left one not far behind. The ruins once carried some intrigue, for sure, but he's been there and done that, and they added care of using a phone to look for plastic boxes containing kids' grubby toys, no longer carries appeal. Can I go now? A frustrated sigh leaves Jeff's lips as Sheila leans in towards him, winning the battle of the eyebrows. I guess so, he concedes. We'll watch Indiana together later, though, Sam says, pushing his chair out. Maybe next weekend, son. Okay. That's petty, Jeff. Sheila says after hearing the creak of the fourth step. Real petty. You bloody watch it with them then. You know it's not my type of film. It's not mine anymore. Jeff begins collecting their dishes. Getting to the point I wish the enemies would shoot on bloody target. Back in his room, Sam stares at the crack running across the ceiling. At the right angle, it looks a bit like Indiana's whip, he thinks. Tomorrow's the day. Tomorrow's the day. He's not sure if the mantra is to appease himself or the voices. There's still some light out. At least another hour of digging. Leave me be. I'm tired. But so many riches await. He turns to his side. Tomorrow. As he wraps his fingers around the packs of spoons under his pillow more for comfort than anything else. He feels his eyelids closing and the voice is beginning to fade. Tries to fight it, but not for long. It's a seamless transition. He's in the kitchen, one hand wrapped around the back door handle, the other clenching a packet of spoons. Taking a deep breath, he turns the knob and pulls the door inwards. No houses, no fence, just mud, grass, and trees. In the absence of streetlights, fizzing illusions of warmth, stark pale moonlight does its best to eliminate the nothingness. Still, vastness swallows it, such openness provides a sense of vulnerability and a feeling that out here, Sam is the center of nobody's universe. He exhales slowly, walking through the breath cloud, eyes on the first spoon and trying his best to summon his inner indeed. He's tried bringing other things across. A torch, his phone, chocolate, his replica Indiana gun. But spoons are the only things that ever made it through, as if they're his connection to this hollowed ground and all its promised secrets. After all, the very first time he sank the spoon into his back garden one dull Sunday afternoon was the first time the buzz began to transition into something else, something more and a sweat accumulated on his clothes. The stronger the frequency became until he could make out distant but audible voices. Others are coming for it. You have to hurry. That night was also the first time he had the dream, or whatever one would call this. Alone and cold in the darkness, he initially wanted nothing more than to be back in bed, running from boulders, sidestepping enemies, but all under the protection of his blankets, even felt the trickle of warmth down his thigh when the door closed behind him for the first time. I can't do this. Let me back in. Let me back in. He screamed into the darkness. And so his obsession with Indiana Jones truly began, a means of nourishing himself with bravery and heroism. Since then, he's spent his time digging until his fingers can no longer grip the spoon or until darkness swallows the light to make sure no goons make it there before him. We've got this, Indy. The wind wraps around him, but adrenaline numbs everything apart from the need to find the X on the non-existent map. Catching the moon's glimmer on the back of the first spoon, he ups his pace, skin prickling at the thought of nearing the end of this adventure. And he knows he is. He just knows it. During light, voices are as clear as whispers in his ears, and there's little left of this place he's yet to conquer. Ahead and to either side, a layer of thin mist floats hauntingly above the grass. He's heard things within it, others likely trying to get to the prize before him. He skips into a slow jog, eyes on the second spoon. Like from a fairy tale, his Mom used to read him. He started placing spoons down every 30 or 40 yards, knowing if he ventured out of bounds, the sequence would end, and he'd have to wait another day. So many paths, so many failed attempts, but his recent one has taken him further than he's ever been allowed to travel. Third spoon, just beyond the trees, to the right. He's almost sprinting now, drawn toward the familiar babble of the river where he guessed There'd be a school big enough for nearly 500 kids back in the real world. Aside from the water's flow, the sound of his footfalls, and the occasional whispers from the mist and rustles of the trees, it's impossibly quiet. No birds singing their songs, no dogs barking, no other signs of life whatsoever. The fourth spoon lays just before the small hillock ahead. He comes in fast, jumping over the mound and performing a roll, finishing with his signature wrist flick. Get your heart out, Indiana. Earth is damp alongside the riverbank, his feet squelching into moistness, bitterness filling his nostrils. Wearing shoes removes his connection to the ground, though, and from the very first time he visited without him, his toes nestling into the long grass, he began picking up on it, a hum, his feet acting like a metal detector of sorts. And boy, do they sing now. Fifth spoon, sixth, seventh, eighth. Blood pulsating in his ears, involuntary shudders rattling through. He follows the path until he gets to spoon number 22, the very last one placed. He swallows hard, surveying the line of trees, knowing there's only one route left to take. Straight ahead. He snaps his head to the left, feeling sure he hears a rustle. But as he stands there, holding onto his breath, as he's done countless times before, no enemies appear. He inhales slowly, trying to force his heart rate down. It's time to ask yourself what you believe. Another quote he's been dying to use, words orated with the hopes of inspiring bravery. After counting to three, makes his move, doubling over to avoid the sharpness of the branches, being careful not to catch his foot on the serpent-like roots, twisting in and out of the soft ground. So far, so good. Censured left and right from this spot, fast prompting the ground to open and swallow him whole, plunging him back into the real world where only memories of this place exist. Needlessly, he crouches and places a spoon down enjoying the softness of the earth beneath his fingers. He feels its feedback, too, the hum, growing ever stronger, lighting up his nerve endings and swelling his anticipation. Sweeping the trees for any signs of movement, he continues forward, stretching his jaw to unblock his ears. Holy shit. Holy fucking shit. Behind another small cluster of trees, he spies a crumbling wall you see it indy can you see it he swallows hard ducking under more spindly branches as he reaches toward it letting out a long exhale as his fingers wrap around solidly he follows it around tracing his palm across its undulating height eyes scanning the cracked stone floor as he reminds himself to breathe indy his skin fizzes at the additional connection as he crawls toward the trap door "'Concerns of trap wires and sinking platforms "'melt away as he mechanically swipes at brown leaves, "'moisture in his eyes as an overwhelming feeling of pride "'and achievement washes over him. "'I did it! I only bloody did it!' "'His dirt encrusted fingernails clawed wood and metal, "'eventually finding the edge of the lock. "'All those days spent digging, "'all the excuses to get out of doing things with his parents.' this constant bullying at school for being different. Countless names spat at the boy, sitting on his own, clutching a spoon to his chest. I'll show them. I'll show them. The rusty handle is too tempting not to try, but there's no give. That's okay, though. He'll return soon, tomorrow, hopefully. Key in hand, ready to claim what is his. Slides a spoon from the packet and slams it onto the wood. "'offering a howl to the moon. "'Fortune and glory. "'He rolls onto his back and takes in the expanse of darkness. "'He smiles, which turns into a giggle, "'soon transitioning into a full-blown, eye-watering guffaw. "'I knew it! I bloody knew it!' "'The buzzing, a bane of his life for as long as he can recall, "'but somehow he always knew it was more than just a redundant annoyance. "'Arms behind his head, closes his eyes, and breathes in the impossibly pure air. It's still dark out as he wakes in his own bed. He covers are warm and soft, in complete contrast, to the concrete and wood he was sprawled across only a few hours ago. Nevertheless, he swings his legs out of bed and pushes his toes into his slippers. 4.06 a.m., reads his phone, but thoughts of waiting for another school week to pass spur him on. He tiptoes down the hallway with renewed excitement, holding his breath as he passes his parents' room, finally wrapping his fingers around the banister and swinging himself down the stairs. He jumps from the 5th, performs his signature roll, and sprints to the back door. Unlike a few hours ago, darkness brings more than whispers in the mist. Sam can hear the hum of early morning traffic from the main road. Air is no longer pure contaminated with all the pollutants of modern day. Beyond the garden fence, he sees the houses quashed together. Dirty yellow light washing their walls. Let's do this. He marches to the pile of bent metal. Drops to his knees, slides a fresh spoon from the packet. His mom asked him once, Why spoons? He didn't really have an answer. He thought about it later, but nothing remarkable manifested. Only that it felt right. And he's off, working at the fresh patch of ground. Dig, Sam, dig. What does it look like I'm doing? The others are nearly here, Sam, dig. But I've claimed it, they can't have it. I put a spoon in there. Sam, just shut up. I'm doing it, aren't I? Once again, he begins humming the theme tune, but the voices refuse to dampen. It's as if he can feel warm breath against his ear. Dig, Sam, faster. Are there emeralds? Faster you dig, the sooner you'll know. Rubies? Yes. I have a crown for you, Sam, encrusted with them. Will you tell me who you are now? We're your spiritual guides, Sam, leading you to your destiny. Feedback vibrates through his arms, his fingers already feeling like someone else's as he scrapes, scrapes, scrapes. Not this bit. He moves two inches to the right and starts again. The knowledge of the key being further down than he could have ever dug haunts him. Or worse still, there is no key at all and that his mind is simply fabricating his escape from a world of disappointment and pain. Those thoughts are usually fleeting, drowned out by sparkling jewels and the look on the faces of his audience. He grits his teeth and plunges the spoon into the top layer. Again and again... He brings it down until the buckling metal becomes redundant and tossed onto the ever-growing pile. He slides a fresh one from the packet and repeats. Hours pass, the first light of morning, showing itself as he moves onto his sixth hole and goes through the motions. Two inches down, a spoon connects with something. He's been here before, though, a disappointment bound. Yet as he tries to slow his breathing down, something feels different the air charged like just before a storm, and the ground feeding him energy with as much urgency as the voices in his ear. Dig, Sam. Dig, dig, dig. And he scrapes another layer of earth across with a trembling hand. He hardly believe his eyes. Shit on a stick. Shit on a stick. He works some more of the earth free. Shit on a motherfucking stick. a word that's never made it from his mind to his lips before, and one his mom would be upset to hear him say, I'm not mad, just disappointed. But he's just uncovered a key to long-lost treasures, so she can kiss his ass as far as he's concerned. He stares at it, taking it in, heavy-looking, dull against the soil, and likely easy to miss using anything larger than a spoon, especially under the half-moonlight. It felt right. "'I did it!' "'The rest of his body begins to tremble. "'He blinks hard, making sure it's real. "'All this time, all those early mornings and late evenings, "'all those spoons wrecked. "'I found it. "'Come, Sam, your treasure awaits. "'I found it. "'By myself. "'Sam, the others are on the way. "'But I have the key, not them. "'It might not be the only one, Sam.' the thought prompts him to scoop the key from the soil and clutch it to his heart it's as heavy as it looks which only emphasizes its importance it might not be the only one they might be right he considers there are three keys to his house one for each of them no way it's my fucking treasure as the bedroom light comes on next door he ducks under the cover of darkness and shimmies along the side of the house hurry Sam I am. Hard thumping, he tiptoes across the kitchen floor and up the stairs, skipping over the fourth and almost falling up the second half. Key still clutched tightly to his chest. He dances gingerly across the hallway to his bedroom, squeezing through the gap in his door and sliding under the covers, finally releasing a loud exhale, screwing his eyes shut tight. This is the easy bit, Sam. Just close your eyes and sleep. Trying, but blood pulsates in his ears and his legs are going like clappers. Concentrate, Sam, it's all here waiting for you. He starts doing math problems in his head, which usually helps him along. If that fails, he tries to uh, recount his collection of console games, sorting them into alphabetical order. There's always Plan C, but he read somewhere that it can fall off if you do it too much. You're nearly asleep, Sam. Look, just fuck off and let me be, will you? He turns to his side, nestling into the softness of the pillow. It's too much pressure. But even as the voice is obeyed, that other plane only seems to grow more distant. His body's alive, singing, light-eating up with patches of hyperactive nerve endings. Like an itch he cannot scratch, sturdy and shrewd fingernails offer only temporary moving the army of invisible ants from one section to the next. He turns over, eyes on Indiana, suddenly convinced someone will beat him to the punch. He checks his phone. 6.35 a.m. Time's running out, his parents insisting he's always out of his pit before 9 a.m. on a weekend. What would you do, Indy? And as if the man himself responds, the idea manifests in his head. After dragging his weary body from the bed, he tiptoes to the bathroom. He knows where she keeps them. a the small silver bucket on the top shelf with her lady things. Parents give kids too much trust trusty things. Hardly an inch of the house he's not been through with a fine-tooth comb. On the hunt for Christmas, birthday presents, and whatnot. And Bearing in mind he has no real friends, there's much else for a kid to do all day. He's seen some things he shouldn't have, too. Grady kind of wished he could unsee. One tablet just before bed. He empties, two from the bottle and fills the plastic cup half full of water. His mum started taking them just after her sister died of cancer. He often watched from his parents' bedroom door, too scared to approach. His mum's face swollen with tears, his dad doing his best to console her. It was a tough period, but she's better now, at least most of the time. He swallows the two small tablets, half expecting to pass out there and then. By the time he gets between the sheets, the bed's cold again. He takes a deep breath, wraps his fingers around the metal key, and begins counting down from ten. Nothing. He tries again, counting more slowly, but frustration sets in as he reaches zero, even after repeating and going down in halves. Turns his attention to the crack in the ceiling, slowly following its path from the coving to the A Molotov cocktail of fear, excitement, and anticipation explode in his mind as he pulls the door towards him. Inhale! Exhale! He can feel the weight of its key in his left hand, but uncoils his fingers anyway just to make sure. Fortune and glory. As the unpolluted breeze blows across, bringing only the scent of moss and dead leaves, Sam begins the short journey for what he knows will be the last time. Spoon after spoon, he does his best to stay calm, taking deep breaths, thoughts turning to what he'll spend his fortune on. He knows he'll have to give his parents some, but having no friends will surely come in handy for once. Squeezing down on the key, he snaps his head towards a patch of mist to his left, whispering, his mind playing tricks. Regardless, he ups his pace, eyes on the next spoon as he jogs alongside the riverbank. Spoon to spoon he senses the finality, the end scene not far away. He takes another deep breath and drops his pace to a march as he enters the first line of trees. This is it, Indy. He ducks under branches, steps over the contorted limbs, and readies himself as best he can for what lies ahead. There it is, the wall. He marches toward it, head snapping left and right, but there's no sign of anyone else. And the spoon rests, undisturbed, atop the wooden trap door. Stomach churning, blood whooshing in his ears. He drops to his hands and knees. Please work, please work. Takes one last look around and enters the key into the hole. Skin prickling as the lock offers a satisfying click. Shit on a stick. Fingers coiled around the handle, veins popping in his skinny arms. He heaves at the door, managing to get it halfway, and letting momentum do the rest. He slams hard against the concrete, and he holds his breath, scanning the trees, but still no surprises. Shit in a stick. Shit in a stick. Shit in a stick. Concrete steps lead down into the uninviting darkness come this far and isn't about to back out. Hello? Using the hole's edge, he lowers himself onto the first step, waiting for the wave of dizziness to pass before moving to the second. Is anyone here? His eyes slowly begin to adjust, the slither of moonlight assisting, but only after taking two further steps can he make out the concrete floor beneath and the two sets of shackles on the far wall. Hello? Hello? was a sudden urge to run take himself out of bounds and back to the predictable tedium but hair on the back of his neck prickling and stomach nodding he continues his descent knowing regret would be waiting at home ready to bite him on the ass and then swallow him whole hello he says as his foot finally finds the door hello Sam snaps his head toward the voices but the moonlight falls short of the corner he says Come for your treasure? Still resisting the urge to run, he shifts his weight onto his right foot in preparation. This place smells off to him more than just damp, but earthy. Something's not right. Something. It's right here, Sam. He swallows hard, opening his mouth to speak, but finding no words. Don't be scared. But he's fucking terrified. He swallows again, not a drop of saliva in his mouth. Where is it? He manages to croak. Come closer and we'll show you. Giggling follows, but he continues shuffling forward, possibly cold air wrapping around him. I don't know about this anymore. The crown awaits Sam. He freezes, arching his neck, willing the darkness to dissipate. I think I... I Iciness grips around his wrist, yanking him forward, he lets out a high-pitched scream, reaching his hands. To avoid crashing into the wall, his childish laughter emerges from behind, the kind he's heard on the playground many, many times before. King Sam! King Sam! King Sam! He slowly turns to face his taunters. Not an ounce of bravado left in his twelve-year-old body. Through the rectangular hole, Trespassing moon spotlights two identical girls holding hands, broad smiles breaking across pale and dirty faces, brittle hair laying over spindly shoulders. Dressed in tattered rags and look as far from royalty as one could imagine. Sam backs up against the wall, pinching at his thigh to try and wake himself up. Who who are you? And where's my treasure? They raise a hand to their lips in unison, tittering as they step forward towards him. Their movement is ethereal, legs going through the motions, but their footfalls are silent. We've been waiting so long to meet you, Sam. Sam squeezes tighter on his flesh, but he knows this isn't how it works. I'm going to go home. Their laughter ceases, their grins flatten. Do you know how long we've been down here, Sam? I don't want to know. I just want to go home grinds himself against the wall as though trying to push through. He can keep the treasure. Oh, silly Sam. There's nothing here but the souls of the damned. He glances toward the rectangular hole, preparing to make a run for it, unsure if his legs will carry him. We've been reaching out for decades, but you're the only one who's ever hurt us. I don't understand. He feels his way along the wall, getting ready to push off. They called us witches, demons, put us in those shackles, left us to rot. The girls continued their approach, hands locked together and swinging back and forth. It was him that turned us in. That devil in sheep's clothing wanted all the evil to himself. What's this got to... Mouth agape, he watches the twin's hair rise toward the ceiling. "'begin dancing in the air, twitching like kite-strings. "'They look angry, lips curled, "'hands clasped and swaying back and forth even more vigorously. "'He made a special key,' they continued, "'a cursed one that would cast our souls away in limbo "'and lock our lips together. "'If it weren't for being able to hear each other's thoughts, "'we'd have had nothing for company bar the whisper of demons "'carrying on the mist.' "'Others like us, trapped by him. "'But I could hear you. "'Because you're special, too, Sam. "'You just needed the key to escape, didn't you?' "'He swallows hard, chewing on the inside of his lip. "'Now or never. Now or never. "'There was never any treasure, was there? "'We knew it was close. "'Could sense the malignant smell it "'on what breeze wafted through the gaps. "'But that didn't help us. "'You did, though, Sam.' I need to go home now. Oh, Sam, but you unlocked the curse. A smile creeps across her face. Not evil, not warm. You're different, like us. And to feel its energy, to be able to hear our thoughts from another plane. We belong together. This is our destiny. Mom's cooking pancakes for breakfast. Don't worry, Sam. We'll be there. He finally makes a run, getting two decent strides in poor hair as dry as hay, wraps around his neck, jerking him to a halt. Eyes wide and bulging, he begins pulling at the long strands, wincing as his fingers glide across. Dampness? He can feel it on his neck, a cold clamminess slithering, tightening around his skin. No longer brittle threads, the twin's hair takes the form of thin serpents, coiling, writhing, hissing. Reeling him in towards them as they await with open arms. He leans back, crumpled face turned away as he lashes out blindly. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? It'll all be over soon, Sam. Try not to resist. Please don't do this, he rasps. It's okay, Sam. They each grab a hand and bring him toward them, their touch impossibly cold, their eyes hungry for freedom. Feel the anger within you, Sam. All the bullying, all the talking behind your back. You're not alone anymore. As the serpents coil tighter still, Sam feels like his head might explode. The twins watch him unempathetically, squeezing down on his hands as he tries to snatch himself free. Only A garbled croak emerging from his lips. Stop fighting it, Sam. Blackness hovers threateningly on the outside of his vision, the death-tide waiting to come in. Pain intensifies, his fingers slipping and sliding across wet, scaly skin. He thinks of his mum calling to his room that breakfast is ready. He thinks of how mean he was to Harvey the day before. He thinks he will surely die. The twins begin to laugh again, but this is no titter is a menacing cackle full of the threat to make up for time lost. Under the pale moonlight, rasping and wheezing, Sam watches the twin skin become even more translucent until it's as thin as the mist above ground. Until it is mist. He doubles over on the edge of oblivion, hungrily sucking in the air, hands at his throat. There's no sign of the girls or the serpent. But as soon as he swallows, he tastes the badness and feels it working its way through his body, spreading through his mind like mold. You're not alone anymore, Sam. The voice is his, but the words aren't. What's happening? Laughter leaves his lips while his head fills with thoughts. So many bad ones. Violent images of revenge against humanity. And him, the one who locked them away, the one who likely still walks with the mortals, It's time, Sam. Shackled, without food or water, left to rot, their souls trapped for countless decades, he feels their anger boiling his blood. I'll show them, Sam. we will show them. He's in there somewhere, but he's not in control. Just a passenger watching his feet climb the steps into the moonlight. One by one, they follow the spoons to the open back door of Sam's house. No fortune, no glory. I hope you enjoyed Spoons by Mark Dowsey, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed what you've heard tonight, I'd like to remind you one last time that tonight's featured author can be found by visiting our website, just visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash Towsy. That's simplyscarypodcast.com T-O-W-S-E. Visit him on social media, buy his books on Amazon, or just send him word about how we need more stories of vomiting up alien monsters. <laughs> if you do decide to stop by the profile please leave a kind word and let them know you heard about them here on this show. As a reminder, if you decide to give tonight's talented author's story a read, please consider leaving him a quality review and a kind word, or a thoughtful public comment and an upvote. And be sure to let them know you heard about him here on this program and that me, Otis Gyre, sent you. It means more to me than you can imagine, and I'm pretty sure that would be much appreciated by Marcus Well. Thanks again for your support of this show and of tonight's featured author. Now, before we go, I'd also like to take a moment to thank you personally for joining me for this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and our other quality storytelling programs. Or well, become a patron for as little as five bucks a month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well at the Otis gyrie channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram too. Just search for Otis Gyre. Until next week, stay spooky and get some sleep, if you can. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Chieri. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, the Otis Jiry channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at Otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review in a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs-up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway?
1: (laughs) Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs,